In this episode of 9-2-I Talks, award-winning Momofuku chef David Chang and director Morgan Neville discuss the global culinary adventures in their new Netflix series, Ugly Delicious, with eater Serena Dye. The conversation was recorded on March 6, 2018, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. All right, guys, you ready for this? <sighs> See. <laughs> um, so I'm super excited to talk to you guys about Ugly Delicious. I have seen all the episodes. It's a very fun show. How are, you, how are you guys feeling about it being out now? <sighs> it's very strange. Very strange. But stranger for you than for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dave's just like reading criticisms online every day. That's what I can't is. help it. I'm a sucker. <laughs> That's the vibe right now. Well, for people who, I assume everyone's familiar, but for people who are not, tell us a little bit about the show and what went into making it and why you guys wanted to do it. Uh, so a little bit about the history of the show. So I met Dave maybe two years ago. We, a little longer, right? We were working on a project. Longer. We were working on a project that didn't happen and was kind of like, we were like thrown together on this thing and, and we hit it off. And then separately I met Peter Meehan and we hit it off and we just started having this conversation. And really, I mean, this is like people pointed out, it's you know, like an offspring of Lucky Peach. You know, and this is kind of how we started talking about it. Um, and, um, and then we just had to figure out, well, what's the show gonna be? And we came up with a few ideas in the beginning. One that it was going to have a lot of kind of attitude and like throw hand grenades into kind of traditional food programming in a way that um, we were hoping to do that, that most food programming tends to be about this is the way something's done, this is the best thing, this is the best chef, this is the best something. And what I liked about watching Dave and Pete and a bunch of other people talk about food is like they argue all the time. And I said, where are the people arguing about food on TV? Like, let's make a debate show, essentially, about food. And that was the thing that got me really excited. And this idea then that, you know, the stuff you guys were talking about, you keep saying, nobody talks about this stuff. And I was like, well, we can do that. Like, we can make a show out of that. And that's kind of how it all started to happen. Uh, were you planning to do TV, Dave, or? No, I mean, I actually have, believe it or not, um, even though I've been on TV, uh, never planned on doing any TV <laughs> um, when we did Lucky Peach, uh, it was supposed to be for an app and that never materialized, which turned into the magazine. That was just a total accident. And then that got repurposed into the show Mind of a Chef. So we never had any intention of doing TV. And, and then this happened. Um, and I, th I think that we always felt that if we had someone on the, the, the filmmaking production side that was also amazing at it and had similar sensibilities, but could also be um, a collaborator, then maybe that's something that we would do. And um, it just never felt right over these years. And um, I think Morgan was the key to letting it all happen. So I was like, okay, let's give it a shot. Well, what, ab what did you want to say with this? What about having the show or doing TV appeal to you? And what did you think you, you guys were going to add to what, there's tons of food TV. There's so much. What did you guys think you're going to add to it? Or what did you personally think you could add to it as a chef? Um, I didn't, <laughs> it's funny. I think when we, well, we had some ideas, I didn't know what we didn't, what we actually wanted to specifically say. I knew what we didn't want to do though, you know? And, um, 
I think we wanted to be as transparent as possible, warts and all. Um, and we wanted to talk about some of the stories that I know personally, and it's not, again, this is not just me, that the show, it's so many voices, but I know if, if those that know me know that I'm always gonna take some stupid position just to sometimes argue and to present a point, oftentimes the position I'll always take is, well, it's not Korean, it's, China, it's not basically Asian-centric. <laughs> um, everything's Chinese, everything's, everything's Korean. Korean. I mean, it's a big joke with that. people that know yeah. me. And uh, sometimes just to like take that position, just to have a different conversation. And that was one of it. But then thinking about the things that I've done in my career or Momofuku's done since 2004, some of the things that we've spoken about offline too, it's like, I haven't even realized that I intentionally did it, but it turned out to be a, uh, talking about or doing something in a way that I think was expressing an idea that we had. Oftentimes it was about talking about things in food that were not being spoken about a lot. And I know that sounds like this crazy thing, but it's really not that many, but uh, one of which was why um, I think Korean food or Asian things in general were always underrepresented or misunderstood. And uh, like MSG is a perfect example. Like I feel like I've been talking about this for 10 years now. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Still people don't know what the hell I'm talking about or they feel like, I mean, because I'll continue to go to a restaurant or talk to another chef and they'll be like, a uh, customer will say, oh, I can't eat this. I was like, why? Because it has MSG. Like, that happens all the time still. And I'm like, still at your restaurants? It still happens at our restaurants. And it yeah. still happens, and not even our restaurants, like to like your local Chinese restaurant. Like, I'll hear that when I'm going to pick up delivery or something, like my own food. And like, yeah. the customer will say, you sure there's no MSG? And I'm like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> it makes me so mad. And that was sort of the conversation that I had with Morgan. Morgan's like, hey, we can talk about this in a way that will, won't be prescriptive. Like, but to start this conversation, I think that, yeah. that was the goal. Well, and ap so a lot of these episodes started as like an idea, and then we're like, well, how do we backwards engineer an episode around this? So, you know, I don't, it's not like we said, we're gonna make a tacos episode initially. It was like, well, there are a lot of issues around this, you know, whether it's immigration and how it supports the US restaurant industry and how, you know, Americans perceive Mexicans and vice versa, and we're like, well, that's an episode. Let's just, we'll call it tacos. And then, you know, we can do that. Yeah. But, well, I was going to say that the, um, of each different episode has so many different stories in it mm -hmm. and different parts in it. How did you, did you guys have those conversations first and then decide what other things to include? I mean, a fair amount of that. Like it was, and it really was kind of coming at it from kind of a magazine approach to begin with. But the other thing I think we did, which I was really happy with, is like we actually let it be a documentary. You know, I think a lot of, programs, they're like, well, here's what we're going to do for this episode, and we're going to hear all the, you know, we're going to shoot it in six days. And like, there was a lot of stuff we discovered. We actually started shooting like more than 10 different episodes just to kind of like see where the stories were going. For instance, uh, what became the home cooking episode was the first day of shooting was Thanksgiving. Like we, they just... You invited us to your house for Thanksgiving. I didn't even know what I was thinking. <laughs> That's so I, intense. <laughs> I, I can recall now, and this isn't to like hug on heartstrings or anything like that. But like, oh, I remember it was like my mom was really, really sick. Like in the filming of that, she was incredibly ill. And I'm like, this might be cool just to like preserve memories because like that was like what was going through my head. And I was like, what a bad idea in retrospect. 
They're like, hey, mom, I know you're sick, but for Thanksgiving, I'm bringing in like 20 it's such people a bad for a idea. show. But, <laughs> a star. but they came down and, and like, we didn't know any, we just were just doing stuff and, and like, that's how a lot of it happened. But that's yeah. exciting. Like, I will say the top of the, um, the shrimp crawfish episode, that whole <laughs> that beginning at Galatoire's so New funny. Orleans started because Dave and I were having dinner and we had that whole encounter with a waiter who had been from Houston. Like, New Orleans wasn't supposed to be in that episode. And then the next day, he's like, let me take you to this place. We just showed up at that place. They didn't know we were coming to film. Right. The, and no, the it, Vietnamese, a lot of that uh, was filmed on, on our phones. Yeah. I mean, that was li literally... <laughs> had that vibe. And like, I was like, hey, way. Morgan, is it, this stuff can be used? He's like, yeah, like we can use this footage to a certain... I can't remember. But I, that was part of what excited me is like being loose with it. Like I kept, the yeah. word I kept using was gonzo. Like, let's just try stuff. Yeah, well, I was, um, in the experience of watching the show, it actually did seem like there are times where you felt like, it felt like you were actually learning something about a culture or about a food. Um, what did you, how much of that was, uh, did you have in mind? And I, I guess we can play the taco clip now in reference to that, because it didn't really seem like you didn't know you were learning something. I know that. very little about tacos. <laughs> Can we play the taco clip? Yeah. <laughs> so what, did you actually not know that stuff? No, before? I genuinely, so <laughs> truly when Morgan says like he wanted to film like a documentary, like they kept me in the dark a lot. Yeah. And, and I know we didn't yeah. know where we were going. Well, yeah, we did. Because <laughs> did. We, we but did. I, I, no, I, I specifically had no idea. I think Gold knew, yeah. Gustavo and Pete and I didn't know where we were going. Yeah. So and what, sorry, I was going to say, what were some of the times where you really were surprised? That was, this is the I mean, I, I, let me genuinely tell you, I was like, I was like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Like, <laughs> tacos came from Lebanon? Like, and then I was like, oh my God, of course, the pastor spit and then shawarmas and gyros and that whole, and then when I go, to, uh, and then I learned about it, I'm like, I'm just, it was obvious to me. And then you learn about this, and when we saw footage coming back uh, in Puebla with the, the Lebanese immigrants to Mexico, and then you just, for me, what was amazing to learn about, because I never thought that I would put Mexico in the same category of Japan, right? And I think they're bookends to the same kind of food culture where they take from everywhere else, and they put their own spin on it. And to me, I was like, that was like the most eye-opening thing. And I would never have learned that if that, that scene didn't happen. And you also saw me like talking shit. And, <laughs> but but that, was, that was genuine. Like there were many, many moments like that because just because I cook and I'm in the restaurant industry doesn't mean I know everything. In fact, I know very little. No, I'll be very honest about that. <laughs> and I was, that's what made the show so fun for me to do was to be able to be working with like some of the foremost food experts, that was great. So did you plan around that? Did you like, yeah, well, like there I see are your a couple dark things. spots, Dave? Yeah, well there are a few things like, um, so Eddie Schmidt, who is the showrunner who worked with us, who needs a ton of credit for the show and directed three of the episodes. You know, I think the plan that we kind of came up with is like virtually every food show has like tons of narration and it's kind of a host, a lot of like the camera stuff. Like there's no narration in this series. Like everything that's happening is happening. And any bit of voiceover is like from our couple of interviews we did. But I think that sense of like, this is really like, we wanna learn. Like if you're not learning when you're making it, then you're not listening, you know? So I felt like it's better, it's better programming, it's better, you know, and just kind of putting Dave and everybody in kind of situations where they'd react in a real way. And, and also, 
and Dave's, you know, it's interesting because, you know, there's like Dave's assholishness, uh, I guess. <laughs> that, uh, that like we made sure that like Dave got schooled a lot in the show. <laughs> and we wanted to make sure we showed that. You know? That's like reality, That's right? reality. It's very yeah, yeah. true. <laughs> um, well, so most of the feedback I've been hearing has been super positive about the show, saying it's fun, and it does feel very different from other stuff, but there have been a lot of criticisms as well, just a few. Um, you know, people saying that there's maybe not enough women in the, in the show, that the barbecue episode doesn't have any black people, and then, um, you know, one of my favorite episodes, Home Cooking, is really great, and there are a lot of women in the episode, but then that, for me, set up this dichotomy of women cooking in the home is not celebrated in the way that professional chefs are celebrated outside, and that, that world is mostly men. Um, so what has is, what is your response been to that, and yeah, how have you taken this stuff in? I mean, first of all, we fucked up, you know, to some extent. Um, I mean, half the production staff are women, and we were all working on this show. We finished last summer, and I think if we finished the show a month ago, it would have been a very different show. But part of what we were doing is, um, like we actually, one of the episodes we ended up starting to shoot, but we didn't finish, was an episode about gender. And it was just one of those, like, other episodes were maturing faster. So we're like, if we do a season two, that'll be a perfect episode. And we just didn't think that much about it. Um, so, you know, I think in that way, you know, if we come back and do more, believe me, the mistake will not be made. Um, and there, are, I actually, I mean, we talked about it a lot. Like there are, in many episodes, a lot of women, um, but it's, you know, I, I have an outside perspective also as like a, I'm not in the restaurant business, you know, that the restaurant world is, uh, you know, skews heavily male. Heavily. I mean, I'm just looking yes. at the the Michelin stars that went out last week, you know. Um, I have a lot to say about this, I and mean, we could talk about it forever, um, and it deserves to be spoken about, but uh, what bothers me about a lot of the criticism is like, man, it's not who we are. Like, we wanted so hard to be inclusive as possible, and it fucking guts me that, like, people are upset about it because, um, man, like, that's certainly not the the point of view that we wanted, and you know I'm okay being called an asshole or something like that, which never fun is it fun to read, but um, you know that really bothers me, and still bothers me, because I'm like, man, like of course I don't want to be defensive, and I'm not saying their perspectives are wrong. We simply didn't do our best efforts to their eyes, and I know that we tried really hard, but we still fell short to people, so that sucks, um, and it's something that. Uh, you know, we're gonna learn from this and get better, and I think that's what this conversation is about. And, um, you know, I don't wanna talk, I could talk all about different kinds of excuses and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, it's like if people are, feel that we fell short, then we fell short. Yeah, I think for a lot of people it's surprising because there are so many difficult conversations happening within the show, and it does feel ambitious in that way where you guys did wanna bring up this these things, so. It seemed like, you know, they should. These guys should be doing better because they did so well in these other but areas. But I feel like we tackled so many things, and I know. you know, one of the arguments on the barbecue episode is, I mean, in, in my point of view, and maybe Morgan's as well. Like, I think for us, the perspective of the barbecue episode wasn't supposed to talk about anything other than 
it's not about barbecue. We weren't. Mm -hmm. If we went in to talk about American barbecue, I think it would have taken on a completely different context. And in a way, fried chicken does more of that. But barbecue, we're trying, you know, two thirds of the barbecue episode is about Asia. Yeah. And that's sort of in my point of view. But again, like we go down this rabbit hole, it sounds like an excuse. And I don't want to have that. Well, I mean, one thing that I've just been thinking about is like, one thing I'm super proud of of the show is how many Asian voices we have in it. Like, I don't, I can't think of another TV show that has as many Asian voices as the show does. Um, and I haven't seen a single person mention it in print. <laughs> and, you know, I'm like new to being an honorary Asian, but uh, I, 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 I let him into the you, club. You give him. You know, <laughs> this is your fault. <laughs> but uh, it's, I know. Do you, is there a double standard to be being Asian and to how people, you know, perceive your voice in popular culture? I mean, in terms of not a priority, I definitely think that's something because of just how I'm wired, we were talking more about. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on? Or my thoughts yeah. on uh, being Asian. <laughs> I know, Dave, you're so famous. You've like risen above race in that way in, so, in some <laughs> forms. You're like famous enough where I feel like it, it shouldn't, it doesn't matter almost. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. Someone told me this recently that's a friend that's an Asian American and he's like, um, I don't think people would have chosen you to represent. <laughs> 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 But you're the best we got now, so <laughs> fuck. And I was saying my younger brother's like said that you were one of his heroes. I'm like, ah, can you can you? <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. That's how few of us is like I have to represent. It's terrible for him. Yeah. Everyone. I mean for me, me it was really exciting to be in the show and talking about racism and um, I mean I I would also say I'm not necessarily an expert on food, but I am an expert on um, the way things are seen and, and media. Um, and it was really exciting to be able to talk about that on a mainstream show. And a lot of the feedback I've been got, getting has been like, we don't really see that Asian American, that many Asian Americans talking about this stuff. So it, it was funny because I watched the fried rice episode first, and there were a fair amount of women in it. And it, it was really, I don't know, it was exciting. Maybe it was just a better episode. I don't know. Because <laughs> you're in it. Because <laughs> I'm in it. <laughs> but if there is a second season, I, I, hopefully you'll see improvements across the board. Well, that's good to hear. Um, was there, I mean, on, on the note of the second, having a second season in general, where, what were some things that you guys are really proud of from this season um, regarding things that we were able to, you were able to talk about, and what are things, other things that you're hoping to, you know, still want to put into the mainstream, I guess? There's so many. <laughs> you know, I think we had, like, we have at least three dozen different show ideas we talked about, and even episodes that we started filming, like I said, a gender episode, but we started filming a bunch of different episodes. I mean, one that actually I was really interested in doing is That's an episode about anger. Yeah. Oh, Dave, you'd be so good for that. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> but, you know, because... There's also a Japanese episode that we could do. <laughs> <laughs> or anger. Um, yeah, but just ideas, you know, like... Um, yeah, just there's no workplace in the planet where anger is more tolerated or even expected than the kitchen. And like nobody talks about that in that kind of way. Like that'd be interesting. I know there are all kinds of different ideas that we've talked about. So going beyond the idea of like a food topic for an episode, maybe we've been doing maybe. concepts. Yeah. yeah. Or the creative process, or I, I don't know. There's there's a lot that can happen. Um, 
So we'll, we'll see, cool. we'll see. Um, so you talk about Ugly Delicious in the show a lot. That's kind of a, the, the name of the show, obviously, but as a theme. Um, yeah, I, let's play the Ugly Cod clip to, to set that off. So you're in, you're, is that, are you in Major Domo? No, that's actually in Las Vegas. Oh, um, restaurant. I was gonna ask, um, you know, seems like you did learn a lot through the filming of the show. Is there anything throughout the show that you're actually putting into your restaurants now or seeing you put yeah, into your there, natural there, life? Yeah, there's a lot, right? And I think, I mean, I hate talking, I mean, uh, a lot, when you talk or someone talks like this, it just sounds so self-important. It's, <laughs> it's like so terrible to hear this or watching that, I hate that. Um, but I mean, we were just trying to make food where, um, I mean, I think one of my big gripes that I think I was trying to figure out in the show and discover, and, and then I think I'll tie into the R&D thing you were talking about, was how do you make something when you put something on a dish where you're not gonna be typecast as, oh, that's just fusion. Or like if I make a dish that's like Sichuan style, I don't want someone like yourself, for instance, that's Chinese to be like, no, you can't, you can't this guy can't make <laughs> this dish, right? So like understanding that you're trying to like weave it so you're gonna be, you know, you're a harder target to hit. And I've always figured out that like, if I say that I'm a, Korean chef and I'm making like Portuguese food, then you're gonna get typecast as like fusion chef. And I think part of me is just embracing that's what we do then, you know? Um, and a lot of that R&D that has happened, I think you're seeing in, in all of our restaurants, but I'm spending a lot of time in Los Angeles right now. And so many of the, the chefs or places that we visited uh, inevitably has shown up on the food that we're making today. So. You know, like last year we were doing crawfish like all the time at Sambar because I was just trying to figure out how you could get someone to eat different kinds of styles of like really dirty, messy eating that's super delicious. Now, you know, we have like smoked meats on um, from the idea of like making Korean barbecue a completely different thing than what you might see. And yeah, I mean like the, 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 the Lebanese ingredients uh, are, all of these are things are happening, and I could talk about it forever again, but it definitely impacted me quite a bit. Like travel is the best thing um, to see and how that impacts you, right? So. I mean, the one other thing just watching that clip that I should point out is it was never called Ugly Delicious. Like we filmed the entire show and finished it before we had a name. We couldn't agree on a name for the show. Oh my God, that was awful. <laughs> we went through thousands of names um, and then finally we just looked at the one that was staring us in the face and we're like, and I think you were hesitant. Yeah. Cause I, I did it as almost as a joke on Instagram. I didn't really think it was going to be like a real thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And here we are, <laughs> but now people, yeah, read all this intention into it and, uh, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. It makes the home cooking episode really feel like the thesis of the, mm -hmm. the whole like season. Um, did people order the crawfish? Like eat it in some or? Um, it's a pretty no, nice restaurant. Well, yeah, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, you know, and I think that's something that I'm still struggling with. It's it's like how do you how do you make a dish that is just genuinely delicious, but people still feel they're not getting it, like they're still eating it at a restaurant. And um, I don't know. I'm still obviously like working through this process of what is acceptable 
and I'm fighting obviously my own demons on that. Um, but like a bowl of crawfish is delicious. Like why? So in my mind, I'm like, okay, do we break down all the crawfish, chill them down, take them out, take the vein out, and like just serve it right. like that? Or so it's there, like carrying crawfish of there, a soul a little bit. Yeah. There's, so there's a little bit of education that's going to take time between the consumer and the audience and what the what the kitchen does. So. Um, I don't know, right? That's that's a long-winded answer, but. Do you think uh, do you think white chefs think as much about not being fusion as you do? Mm. <laughs> um, I just feel like I see a lot of people just willing willing to do whatever with other cuisines, you know? Um, that's a long. Well, there's uh, two topics, two points on this. One is, I got I still get angry when. I've always said if I was a f white French chef using Asian ingredients, that's going to be cool. If I'm an Asian chef using French ingredients, that almost unequivocally in the media be typecast as fusion. And that to me is a double standard, and that bothers me tremendously. And I, that's just one example, but it's not like you can, there's other examples within that that are not so clean. But um, I've learned a lot about that, that idea, right, within that show. Like, so many things where you think that I have a final conclusion in the show, or at least myself, they've evolved. So one of which is in the fried chicken episode when I, I, I say, like, hey, I'd be pissed off if uh, I get pissed off when I see a white chef put kimchi on. Because we were in New Orleans, and Dave Simon and I had dinner at a restaurant the night before, and I'm like, they have a flight of kimchi. I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> when, like, next to the like boudin and all that stuff. And, and I was incredibly judgmental. And I was, that was my default setting was to be like, fuck you, you can't do this. And I think what got edited out was like, David, David Simon just basically crushed me. And he's like, you're an idiot. And <laughs> America at its best and at its worst is when we appropriate from other people and turn it into something that's fantastic. And I was thinking about that a lot. A lot of the dumb things that I said, I've been obviously reflecting upon. And then, and I've really thought about this so much to the point where I'm like, if I, if my job, what I want is for other people to have a conversation, for other people to respect, to increase their empathy, then what I need to do is curb my own judgment and say, if someone's putting kimchi on their menu, the worst thing I can be is t telling them, you can't do that. I should encourage them to do that because the only way that they might be the biggest advocate of Korean food or any other cuisine that's not their own is for them to go down that rabbit hole. And the only way they're gonna do that is to like have the freedom to do that. The worst thing I can do is like shame on you, right? That's, I'm gonna screw up that whole process. So um, yeah, that all happened. That, that's happened because of the show, right? It's changed my viewpoint. I'm like, oh no, no, I, of course, my feelings are still gonna be like, hey, you shouldn't do that. But <laughs> I'm really trying to be like, hey, if you need help, ask me. I'm gonna, <laughs> or, or anyone else. 180 wanna, here from uh, Yeah, no, but it's true. It's just like, yeah. this, is, this is like the process of just who I am as a person, right? Like, I am going to fuck up and like, you know, move on. That's what I think, that's why I like cooking. It's, the best chefs are the ones that fuck up the most. I mean, I understand your anger because I, I, I feel like we've talked before and you've had to, you've had a lot of thoughts about identifying as a Korean chef and cooking Korean food. And for a white chef to be putting kimchi on his menu, it's so much easier for him. 
You know, it's yes. so much easier. It's so much easier for him to win accolades on it. There's not this um, just tension and psychological identity thought. How much do I charge for this? Are people going to pay for this? They just fucking do it, you know? And like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and they still have something to rely on. So, I mean, I don't think it's a problem to be angry, and, but it's also good to be thinking about what that means that you're angry and how to react to it, you know? But maybe, maybe they don't understand kimchi yet, right? Maybe they don't. Very also, also and, very true. And again, yeah. like the only way they will ever understand it is by making it a lot. And maybe they're gonna be like, hey, I need to make my kimchi better. I'm going to go to Korea. Right, like that's the only, that's the best way for it to happen. Um, or they can go to Dave Chang's house, and maybe he'll teach <laughs> he'll teach them. But like that example of what I was just talking about, I think can be applied to so many things within the show. It's like, hey, all of us, we need to curb our judgments and just sometimes just let it play out, right? So. Very true. Um, all right, so. One of my last questions, what do, you, what do you really hope people get out of the show? Well, there's so many different things. I mean, I, for me personally, like I have never done anything about food before, but I've spent my entire career making films and shows about culture. That's really what excites me, whether it's you know, art or music or film or design, you know, and food is the most omnipresent, defining part of culture because we all, everybody has a deep relationship to food and it defines who we are and how we see other people. So for me, it's like the perfect way to talk about these big cultural issues and then when it gets too heavy, you just show some pretty food and then <laughs> people get excited. So I, I'm just really happy about what we did with that and just seeing how fertile that ground is to just keep going. Too. Yeah, just to add on what Morgan said, <laughs> um, you know, I'm just lucky to be in this position. Um, um, really, I can't even believe it uh, to be able to work with such talented people. Um, but, you know, I didn't understand the, the responsibility that I have with this show, you know? Um, and that's, that's weighing really heavily on me because everything we do now, like, you know, a lot of people watch Netflix, so, um, <laughs> you know, it's like the same thing. It's like, this is a weird way for me to answer this question. I was about to do the, the Olympics uh, for NBC in Pyeongchang, and you would think that I would have internalized, oh, shit, I'm going to be on TV, and a lot of people are going to be watching it, but it didn't hit me like, oh, shit, I'm also going to be representing Koreans that probably don't want me to represent Koreans. <laughs> And Korean Americans, they'd be like, this guy's Korean sucks. Like, what is he doing? <laughs> Regardless, I'm like, I have to like put my best effort. I have a responsibility to 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 change viewpoint. Not change viewpoints, but to be like, hey, like, this is not so different than what you guys are. And that's what I feel food has always been at its best and purest, why I love cooking, even though I talk shit about it all the time, is that at its best, at its most pure, it's like a merit-based thing. And it's something that, if you can eat something delicious, even I, I, I don't know your culture, I don't know your family, I've never been to this part of the world. Listen, like, we also cook chicken, we also cook pork. Like, that, that's the greatest icebreaker into acceptance. And I think a lot of it is like, hey, I had a really hard upbringing. I think it's pretty easy for a lot of people to see that, potentially. But that's what I want, is like, hey, like, 
having that acceptance and be able to have an honest conversation, that's what I want food to always be, right? Stripped of all the bullshit. So this is just a different way to do it. So. Great. Very cool. Um, I actually do have one more question that a lot of people have asked me. It's how you found those people in the MSG section who were just like. Oh, man. <laughs> I had no idea what was happening. By the way. <laughs> I don't know how they did it. Um, I'm trying to remember. So I know one of them was uh, one of our producers' moms has an MSG allergy. Uh, wow. So she was Throwing like an someone's family member under yeah, the exactly, bus. Exactly. Totally threw her under the bus. Um, and. I think we contacted some local doctors and asked for people that had MSG. You know, there's like a, and there was like a forum for people in the town who had MSG, you know. Like a Reddit subreddit yeah, for basically. like, I'm allergic to MSG. You know, and they, yeah. they. I remember one of the earlier that. cuts of that though. <laughs> I'm like putting my hands, I'm like, what is, what is going on here? How is this even being said? So yeah, it was real. That was all real. I couldn't believe it. it I thought they so had. I, I thought they had hired actors because there was like, there's no <laughs> way. These are your responses. This is impossible. But it, it's real. It was real. It's freaking crazy. So they signed the releases before oh, yeah. they. Oh yeah. <laughs> before everything started. Always. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank you guys so much. Is there anything else that you want people to know about Ugly Delicious? What's been your favorite part of, about it being out in the world? Um, I've been reading, this is so different than restaurant critics. It's similar. I mean, we spoke about it on the Eater Upsell a little bit, but uh, <laughs> restaurant criticism, I, I thought, would be the same, same thing, right? Like, not everyone gets the same meal, but everyone reads the same criticism. But everyone now is watching the same thing, but internalizing it in a different way. And the one thing that I was shocked to read in terms of the comments is that there's a lot of uh, people that are like, hey, thanks for making this show. Like, I didn't know that someone else felt this way. And that to me is like really like weird and touching and I don't know. I, I haven't like processed that. Um, so that's great. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the cool thing about doing a show like this for Netflix is like they flip a switch and it's in 190 countries. And just like the fact that, and then, you know, reading social media and people in the languages I can even read, talking about it and being, and then even, yeah, the, the people feeling like a personal connection to it, like, oh, I've had that or I've tried that, or the number of people that have been like posting dishes they've cooked over yeah. the past couple of weeks, inspired by the show. Or like, hey, I had no idea about MSG. And then I thought about that, that got me, <laughs> no, I'm serious, if you think about it, this is the world we live in, where else would they have read that MSG's okay? Seriously, where, where? Maybe a magazine article here or there, but it was never ever accepted in mainstream media to be like, hey, actually, like, so I don't blame anyone if they feel like, many of my close friends, chefs, are like, no, I, I won't touch MSG. And like, privately, I'm like, I wanna, I wanna punch them. <laughs> but like, that's, the, that's all of the, the things that we're working against and, and talking about is like, this stuff takes time. All of this stuff takes time. And when I was a kid, going to first, second grade, my mom packing like seaweed and weird shit then, and it's now at CVS, it's fucking wild. <laughs> and this is fucking wild shit. And seriously, that is so crazy, but that just shows you, you know, good food 
takes time and acceptance takes time. And like, it also shows, that's what I mean by cultural truths is like, it's true, but it needs to be updated continuously. And I think that hopefully these conversations, not that we're the, gonna be the, the, the <laughs> monolithic thing that makes it, right? But it's like, it's just conversation. That's what I think Morgan was drawn to to, to, to help film this to begin with. Absolutely. Okay, we have some audience questions. One, if you were stranded on an island, what, what chef would you want to cook for you? And uh, what chef would you eat? Oh, I'm more, this is for no, Morgan, this right? Is definitely for you. Definitely for you. Oh, man. <laughs> you got to pass. Oh, we got to come back. No, no. Come on. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I've said it before just because he's a close friend of mine, and I think it's funny. I would choose Rene Redzepi, not because I'm bro. Like, again, people call me bro, and he's like, I'm a, he's my friend. Like, what am I supposed to say, right? I would choose him because like, I walk in the park with him and he's like, oh, you're stepping on something that's edible. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, don't step on that. I'm like, and he's picking it up off the ground. So yes, I would like him as someone that's on an island because he would find different ways to make things that I would not think are edible delicious. So yeah. And Who would you to eat? eat? I don't know. I got a pass. Question. That's a hard question. <laughs> so many people I want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what is your um, favorite restaurant that's not one of your own? You can't say Noma. You no, 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 I, 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 it's not, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite, what's your favorite? Oh, I, my favorite restaurant is a place in LA where I live uh, called Musso and Frank's, which is an old steakhouse, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I'm gonna say probably my favorite restaurants right now because I'm spending a lot of time in LA as a rotation of Parks Barbecue um, run by Jenny and Soban. If you haven't been there, their crabs and their Calabi Jam are delicious. And uh, the restaurant I think changed hands to a new owner, um, but she's always in there and she's an amazing cook. So, um, and if you ask me tomorrow, I'd probably give you a different answer because that's just where my my appetites are, but if I had a chance, that's where I'd probably take you guys tonight, so. Yeah, sounds pretty good. <laughs> um, all right, if you had to eat one nationality's cuisine for each meal for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Example, breakfast Korean, lunch Icelandic. <clears throat> I think like Japanese breakfast is pretty I mean, good. Get some fish in there. It's good. This is this is all, these are really impossible questions. <laughs> I feel like these are college entrance exam questions. <laughs> I would definitely put Japan somewhere in there. Uh, um, I don't know. I don't know. If I I feel like if I don't say something, I'm going to get roasted. So I'm just going to leave it at one right now. That's good. <laughs> Japanese for dinner. Japanese for dinner. Yeah. They have so many foods. What about you? They have pizzas and... What about you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I don't know. Actually, yeah, I actually think I would do maybe, um, maybe like Taiwanese breakfast, like Chinese Taiwanese breakfast. Then like... It's so filling, though. Those giant rice rolls. So tasty, though. <laughs> it's delicious. Every meal for the rest of your life. 
I don't know. I feel, I feel like... Well, let me, let me change this. What continent, what, what side of the world? Would you be in Europe or Asia? I'd be in Asia. Come on. <laughs> Everything's Chinese, right? Or, yes, it's true. And my, you know what's funny? My friends also make fun of me for this, is that every time I like something at any restaurant, if I like it, I'm like, it tastes kind of Chinese. And I'm like... <laughs> It's kind of tasty. There's like a little soy in there. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, but, but here's, a, here's the thing. Like, I now want to go to South Africa because we did the Trevor Noah show yesterday, and he was saying like, it was a spice hub and all this stuff, and the food there is like, it's so multicultural that you can't even tell where things came from where. We're That's just like talking a, about Turkey too. Yeah, another Turkey too. Place with amazing yeah. food. That's like a. This yeah. is this is how like we'll probably do a second season or something. <laughs> like to me, I'm. So, just so you guys know, I'm infatuated with like Turkish cuisine because the more I study about Asian food, everything now not only goes from China, it goes through Turkey, and it's like literally east meets west, and it's been that way for thousands of years. And I think everyone in Turkey is like, duh, dumbass. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. So in the episode stuffed, you brought up the notion of how Chinese and Asian food doesn't hold the same reverence as Italian food. How do you feel it can start to fill that space and does it need to? Yeah. My perspective, <laughs> on my, my perspective is just from watching you and kind of battling this issue for years is that um, it's because you can put the same dish out in a French restaurant, an Italian restaurant, or an Asian restaurant, and at, they have to be at three different price points, you know, and that it's just that kind of as a restaurateur, that's got to be frustrating. I've seen Dave be frustrated by it. And just kind of the, um, yeah, the kind of credibility um, gap. Well, that's, that yeah, but fill. it's a loaded thing. And part of it, again, is people understanding different parts of the world, right? And like what might be bad service to another is really good service to like Asia for the most part, right? So, um, or food, right? Like, that's just gonna take time. Like, for me, it's, if you look at the Italian-American population and the Asian-American population, they're relatively the same amount of numbers, and they've been here the same amount of time. Yet, the world over, I would think that Italian food's more accepted, but the reality is Chinese food is more prevalent around the world. So, I don't know what that answer is, and, um, I love Italian food, right? Many of my friends are like top Italian chefs, and this is what we talk about all the time. So, um, all I would would like though is for Asian food to just be like, hey, this is like, this can be considered some of the best cuisine out there. And not that long ago, people were like, Italian food can't be considered, can't be a four star restaurant, right? So, like, it all again takes time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one thing I have found that some of the worst offenders of not wanting to pay for. Chinese food is Chinese people. Yes. And this is another show I knew we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. So sometimes <laughs> I'm like, come on, guys, let's do it. Let's. See. But I don't know if that's always gonna gonna work. Well, yeah. Some of the most myopic viewpoints are from within the own group, right? So. Um, yeah. Definitely. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think it could. I think I feel like well, Japanese food did it. Yeah. Well. People are always like, hey, why don't you just open up a, an Asian, like, Italy? And I'm like, it's never going to work. <laughs> I mean, outside of Japan, there are tremendous supermarkets, like, the best of the best. But simply, I think there's a, I mean, I'm not going to do a dissertation about this, but, like, a price point. Like, you can't sell cheese for, there's no cheese, there's no wine. You can't sell hams. 
even though there's amazing Chinese hams. You can't sell all these for a higher price point that you could, you know. Yeah. The Chinese food doesn't have those luxury items that is like, not like bird's nest or something like that, which I, I just don't love. I would, I would argue that H Mart is kind of a Korean Italy, especially in the suburbs where they have all those little super food H, courts. Super H Mart. Super H Mart. <laughs> there are like little food courts that are really delicious. Tons of groceries. Mitsuo is great too, but they're but they're You've different. Already got it. They're, they're different. Well, they're not as like chefy. They're not as chefy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it, I mean, it can't happen. Like if you've been to the the supermarkets in Asia, they are just, I mean, they're, they're amazing. I, I, don't, I, mean, I think they're the best in the world. Yeah. Um, well, the thing about reverence too, is like, what does the word reverence even mean? What do we define as reverence and what the word reverence and accolades that's also through this historically white lens anyway. So what, like for you, Dave, what do you, you know, you have a bunch of awards, but what, it, what have you considered as making it as far as putting, I don't know, as a chef, like making it reverence, what does that mean to you? I don't, I don't even. You seem pretty irreverent to me. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I, I actually still having a hard time understanding the question in terms of like reverence, like. Like for example, so I'm thinking about, um, you know, there are all these great Chinese restaurants in New York City and I really love them. And they are personally the best in my heart, but in the traditional American sense of reverent for restaurants, it's like you have a Michelin star, you have a New York Times review, mm -hmm. and these are all systems that are built by white people and historically racist systems. So this idea that we, uh, as like, I don't know, as an Asian chef wanting to get approval from you're still looking for approval from white yeah, people. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's the weird thing, right? Like I mean, again, it, again, those that know me can be like you have so many contradictions. I don't even understand how you can live with yourself. <laughs> but but like while I am 100% understanding of that, like part of me is still like like I fucking hate the Michelin guy, but I also love the best of what it represents and the Tuagro brothers, the whole lineage of Nouveau Cuisine, like that stuff, that's the shit that got me into this business. And I, while, I, while I hate the bad, I love very much the good. So while it has these systems that are all flawed, they're also part of me that, 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 that like informed me and taught me and it's hard for me to eradicate it completely so I can't give you a complete answer because uh, it's like a bifurcated system in my head you know mm -hmm. like you kind of still want more stars probably no right? I mean <laughs> this is the debate like I would love three Michelin stars if we ever got it at like co but I also am like be the worst be the worst thing in the world and this is the same topic I have with my friends that have three Michelin stars like well fuck it's all over now <laughs> I mean, seriously, this is what we say. That's what they say. Like, mm -hmm. the only thing that can happen is bad now. You can only, yeah, you can only lose it. That's right? why I'm like sort of cool with two stars. It's like, well, we're sort of in, in between. It's <laughs> but like all of these things, of course you want to achieve excellence in everything you do. At least I do and a lot of my peers. But I think what we're asking and what you're asking in a very different way, but also encompasses it, is that like, what are you celebrating simultaneously? And that's a real conversation that we need to have. But I, 
if you take away the, 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 the cultural crappiness of these things, what I love about it is celebrating excellence. And that's, if someone gets three stars in New York Times, as much as it might be a flawed system, like that's a tremendous amount of achievement. Two stars, whatever. And that's what I like to be, at least like celebrate, even though in my head, I know it's also like a, it's, it's also stupid. Yeah. Like I don't, I, the awards are some shit, but I still want one, kind of. <laughs> exactly. Scenario. I mean, you have an Oscar. Talk about awards. And, and an it's all Emmy. downhill from here. Yeah. <laughs> and an Emmy. We got to get a Tony. And an Emmy. He's going for the, the EGOT over there. Yeah, I have the ego. I just I, I need a Tony. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, the good thing about that kind of stuff is it just makes doing the creative stuff easier because you don't have to spend so much time beating the bushes trying to do, do the business stuff to do the creative stuff. So for me, it's a lot easier. But, um, but that can't ever be the purpose of what you're doing. You know? Yeah, definitely not. It's this weird, I mean, there are words in the journalism world too where I feel like I don't want to, it'd be nice to have one just in the sense that there's this, I don't know, like an outside force saying, yeah, you're, you're good. And it's also something that like maybe my mom could understand, like, oh, there's an <laughs> award. But um, like kind of this objective thing, because there's this whole thing about award system is there's this whole idea that it's objective. And there's a system that makes sense, and like, but it but it, it doesn't. None of the none of the systems quite make sense. And so I think you know this year, like Charles Pan Fried Chicken was on the long list for the James Beard Awards, which was kind of crazy. You know, that's not the kind of restaurant that are usually on those awards list. Um, on one hand, are those we had this debate in the office. You know, was this going to ruin it? Like, if it won one, would it ruin the restaurant? Did, is this the kind of restaurant we need on the list? But also. On my side, I was like, yeah, actually, yeah, it'd be nice to see a more low-key restaurant that's super accessible to a wider group of people um, have that kind of accolade and say, yeah, this is something that's worth saying is objectively great. Mm -hmm. So like, let's change what we say is objectively great rather than... I mean, it's what you see happening with the Oscars now, you know, that are the Oscars the cause of the lack of, you know, minorities and women and jobs, no, they're a symptom. But by changing, you know, how that perceives, is perceived and how it's voted upon and, you know, I think it's actually opened up a lot of doors over the past few years. And we spoke about this at the Fried Rice episode. Like, Wu's Wonton King is a tremendous restaurant. It's so fucking good. And how do you, how do you judge that, right? How does that, like, get measured other than I know that the people that I respect all like eating there a lot. You know, is that good enough? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, right? And mm -hmm. let's just say it got four stars New York Times. Like, I think that would be really bad for the restaurant too, <laughs> right? Um, so it's a, it's a double-edged sword for sure. And again, I don't think we're gonna answer that in our lifetimes. You know who I think kind of, uh, who I th there's a thing, a really interesting um, example of it is CN Famous Foods which is a restaurant that I really love. Mm -hmm. And some people say the quality has declined as they've spent it, but I disagree. Uh, but the, um, you know, this stall in Flushing gets like a Bourdain mention, gets a review or something and blows up. And they, they have the sun come in and say, there's something here and maintain this traditional, original idea of what the food is and just spread it all over the place. So when that, it's so ubiquitous. It's like a straight up chain now mm -hmm. in tons of neighborhoods in Manhattan but still serving the same food from this stall. I don't know, there's something like that's, 
that's a way to take, uh, when you said like ruining a restaurant, in some sense it could ruin a restaurant and, the ro and like not, you kind of have to have business savvy to say like, what can I do out of this? And they have, I think, introduced so many people who didn't really know what handful noodles were, didn't know where Stian was, mm -hmm. and have looked it up or know what that kind of food is now because of this, this chain. Um, as far as like a really tiny restaurant and they getting an every, accolade. They make everything, like they, I don't know how they do it, quite frankly. It's amazing. Yeah. They do it, there's so many locations and they're all really <laughs> good. It's yeah, amazing. they don't have any, they, it's all their own money. They, yeah. from what the last I heard, they put all their own money back in, but then. They're just, they're just, they're literally just pulling all the noodles. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Um, I think we're almost yeah. out of time. Okay. Thanks for this conversation, guys. Anything else you want to mention about the show or any of the topics we've been talking about? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> you have anything? Um, I think I've talked too much. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> we'll save it but, for the second season. <laughs> yeah. No, there, there's no shortage of talking, typically. You know, and it's the kind of thing that um, just trying to kind of contain the ideas was so much fun and there were so many great people we met. Like it was, having done this for a long time, like it was kind of in certain ways like the easiest thing we've ever done just because everybody had so much to say. And everybody was so excited to talk about it because it's not the normal crap they end up talking about. Like asking people to talk about something different about like, you know, how does your business work or how did, you know, who inspired you or whatever that you just get different kinds of answers. And I felt like, you know, and Dave's really good at bringing people out. And we had a lot of other great people that came and like yourself, like going to the local Chinese restaurant that, you know, you had eaten at. Um, it was really good, by the way. I, I was surprised. Yeah, the restaurant's really good. Yeah, the two restaurants yeah. in Knoxville are fantastic. Chinese. Yeah, but in a way, I, I think it's just that idea that it's like, it's not just Michelin star restaurants that have stories, you know, like, Every restaurant has a story. And Everyone's got to eat, right? So, you know, I just, there's just so, I didn't, I'm really genuinely did not anticipate so many people to watch this and have opinions on it. And I really want this show to be something where everyone could feel like they could like. And again, like besides uh, criticism, like the one thing is like, hey, you got to talk about this cuisine. You didn't get to Argentina, Brazil, or India. And I'm like, we just don't, we'll, <laughs> just give us some time. We only had eight right? episodes. Give us some time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we want, we want to talk about as many yeah. things as humanly possible, but um, this is not my, by the way, this is not my real job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, don't, I barely had time to do this, so um, yeah, we'll get there, we'll get there. Great, thank cool. you. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening. 92i Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92yondemand.org.